You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. Another tippy AWS S3 bucket spills its contents over the web. FedEx's 10K report indicates it may never fully recover systems and data hit by NotPetya. A virus hides in Game of Thrones torrents. Harvard's Belfer Center wants to secure electronic voting. The Departments of Commerce and Homeland Security consider moonshot research to take out botnets. We've got some M&A and venture funding notes. And an initial coin offering gets hacked. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, July 19th, 2017. Another unsecured Amazon Web Services S3 bucket has been found. You'll recall the three most recent instances of this sort of misconfiguration. The National Geospatial Agency, the Republican National Committee, and Verizon were all victims of third-party contractors or vendors who inadvertently exposed sensitive data. The latest open bucket belongs to Dow Jones, which says 2.2 million customers were affected. Security firm UpGuard offers a higher estimate, suggesting the possibility that around 4 million records were exposed. Chris Pearson of ViewPost commented about this most recent AWS S3 issue. He said, quote, Even after the news of RNC and Verizon having open access to data stores in S3 buckets at AWS, companies have yet to actually scan their networks and permissions in the cloud. It was just announced that Dow Jones had its online storage configured to allow any authenticated AWS user to see the data they were storing. End quote. So scan your AWS buckets for secure configuration. A 10-K filing from FedEx says that the shipping company doesn't yet know how long it will take to restore systems affected by the NotPetya attack, and that it's possible the company's TNT unit, the one directly affected, may be unable to ever fully recover. As FedEx put it in their 10-K, We cannot yet estimate how long it will take to restore the systems that were impacted, and it is reasonably possible that TNT will be unable to fully restore all of the affected systems and recover all of the critical business data that was encrypted by the virus. Securities and Exchange Commission Form 10-K is an annual report publicly traded companies in the U.S. are required to file with the SEC. It details company financial performance. 
In its extended treatment of the NotPetya incident, FedEx added that in addition to financial consequences, the cyber attack may materially impact our disclosure controls and procedures and internal control over financial reporting in future periods. So the NotPetya story isn't over, and FedEx is far from the only company that will be affected. If you were planning to illegally stream Game of Thrones, think twice. There are reports of a virus lurking in Pirate Bay torrents. Anyway, here's all you need to know about Season 7. Spoiler alert, winter is coming. A virus hides in the torrents of Pirate Bay. That actually sounds like showrunner dialogue, doesn't it? If you're a competitive online gamer, it's tough enough to stay at the top of the leaderboard without other players using questionable means to try to knock you off or put you at a disadvantage. Online gaming companies battle their own specific kinds of DDoS attacks, and Brian Hamilton, product marketing manager with cybersecurity company Imperva, shares the details. People that provide video game platforms are typically connecting hundreds, if not thousands, maybe even tens of thousands of individuals to a pool of servers. And unlike other servers, often uh, gamers or people that create the gaming platforms are relying on proprietary protocols. That is, they've written the sort of communication protocol that's being used to communicate with the person playing the game on the other end. As opposed to normal web servers or the typical web server that relies on the HTTP protocol, which we call the application protocol, to communicate back and forth between a browser or a mobile client. So these are typically proprietary protocols that support a large number of users concurrently. And so when they get attacked, how does it uh, take shape? What the attacker is trying to do is they're trying to overload the server with simulated players, okay? So what they're trying to do is they're creating little attack bots that uh, pretend to be people playing the game, but playing the game in a way that no human would ever play it, creating a lot of commands, in other words, a lot of, a lot of activities um, and they're attempting to overload that gaming server so that legitimate players, the real humans, can't get in and can't play the game. And, of course, these online games rely on connectivity to make their money. Oh, absolutely. They're only making money when real people are playing the games. They don't make any money off of these attack bots. And, and so what's the motivation for the attack? Is it, is it a, a competitor? Or is there a, a, are, are they holding them for ransom? Why are they doing it? Typically, what we found in the past is it's a game. By its very nature, it's competitive. And a lot of the people that play these games are also really into computers. And what they want to do is they're using uh, DDoS attacks as a sort of a competitive weapon, either to keep their uh, competitors from playing the game or to give themselves an advantage where they're playing the game and the people that they're tr- that may be trying to play the game can't get in. So to a large extent, we believe it's individuals that are, uh, through their competitive nature, are trying to knock the site off or slow it down. We have seen in the past uh, attacks where one gaming company might attack another gaming company to uh, give itself a competitive advantage. But it's mostly individuals that are trying to 
make life hard for other people that are trying to play the game. And so the people who are providing the game, how do they defend themselves against this? The people that are providing the games will look for a system or a service that can identify who's a human and who's not. They're basically capable of blocking the non-human traffic, only letting the human gamers go through. That's Robert Hamilton from Imperva. In the U.S., a bipartisan initiative to secure electronic voting spins up at Harvard's Belfer Center. It's led by former Clinton and Romney presidential campaign managers. Its advisors include security leads from Facebook, Google, and CrowdStrike. The U.S. Departments of Homeland Security and Commerce have commissioned studies looking into the possibility of a moonshot challenge for combating botnets. In industry news, Awake Security emerged from stealth this week with $31 million in funding. The startup's technology has been compared to near-unicorn Darktrace. Scale FT has closed a $2 million seed round. And there's some M&A news. Rapid7 has announced its acquisition of security orchestration startup Command for an undisclosed amount. Cybercriminals hacked Israeli cryptocurrency startup Coindash's initial coin offering, stealing many of the tokens on sale. It's thought that the currency taken was worth about $7 million. The thieves were able to divert investors' Ethereum to the wrong address. Ilya Kolichenko of security company Hitech Bridge told us in an email that it's another reminder that blockchain technology in isolation doesn't necessarily increase security and may even increase risk. As he put it, quote, Many users, fooled by investors and so-called serial entrepreneurs, blindly believe that blockchain, particularly cryptocurrencies, can make a digital revolution and provide an unbreakable security. Unfortunately, this assumption is wrong and leads to a very dangerous feeling of false security. End quote. If the crooks cash out intelligently, they may go uncaught. Kolachenko added, victims of this hack will be quite unlikely to get their money back, as technically speaking, it's virtually impossible. And law enforcement is also unlikely to be able to do very much. So, any advice for those who would invest in cryptocurrencies? Kolachenko is something of a skeptic. He calls such investment a very profitable but risky game, like investing into North Korea. Better to place your cash into Apple or Google stock if you have no financial experience. Wait, there are profitable investment opportunities in North Korea? If you're a member of the wealthy elite and have a high tolerance for risk, well, good luck. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. 
Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Justin Harvey. He's the Global Incident Response Leader with Accenture. Justin, welcome back. Um, we have heard a lot lately about fileless malware. First of all, uh, let's go through here and just describe to us, what are we talking about with fileless malware? Well, fileless malware really has two types of, of uh, categorizations. The first would be truly fileless. Something comes in through a document, an attachment, or something you get through a, a web transaction, and it is executed and resides in memory. There's another definition, which we use in the industry, where fileless malware could also be executable-less malware. And that type of fileless malware is delivered usually via uh, some sort of scripting language. VBScript, PowerShell are the two most uh, frequently used. And those types, while one could argue, yes, they are scripts, they could be files, a lot of times they don't touch the file system. They come in through a, uh, a Word document or Excel document or some sort of attachment that enables uh, the attacker to trick the user into hitting enable macros. The enable uh, macro function runs an auto start script. Typically, that's programmed in, in VBScript. It goes out to the internet. It goes to a, a hosting site that has uh, malicious PowerShell. It pulls that down, and then it executes it. Now, both of those types are what we consider fileless malware. And the notion being that when there's no file, that makes it harder for the AV software, to, which would be looking for a file, to detect it. Correct. I think this is one of our biggest areas of concern in cyber defense today is what do we do about scripts? It's very easy to uh, take an executable and create a signature from it, or if there's polymorphic malware, be able to identify, well, it's this type of packer, or it has to persist by getting inside of the registry and working with these keys or performing these sorts of function calls we know to be malicious. Scripting is a lot harder to be able to put some controls around, and that's why we're seeing a lot more PowerShell type of uh, malicious attacks. And is this a situation with, uh, because the malware is residing in RAM, in terms of persistence, if you reboot, does the malware then get wiped clean? Yes and no. In a normal fileless attack normal, meaning the first definition, meaning that there, there was an executable or something that came down that's resident within the memory, yes, when you reboot the system, it is gone. For that first type where an executable is used and it doesn't persist, the, the adversary needs to either work quickly to get secondary or tertiary methods of getting onto that system, or they need to get the data off as fast as they can. The second definition, so a PowerShell type of attack, uh, there are 
methods and means to persist even after reboot using that scripting language, but they're not as obvious as an ex- executable, let's say, in, in the startup folder, for instance. All right. Interesting stuff. Justin Harvey, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Hi, everybody. It's Maria Varmazas here, your host over at T-Minus Space Daily and sometimes a guest on Hacking Humans, too. We here at N2K CyberWire work hard to bring you concise, intelligence-driven news and commentary, and we'd like to know how we're doing. Please take a few minutes to complete our audience survey and share your feedback to help us continue to grow and meet your needs. Visit cyberwire.com slash survey. That's cyberwire.com slash survey to get started. Thanks so much for your input as we reach for the stars. It means the universe to us. And now a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.